0: Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Alex Toth, Head of Business Development at Open Door, to talk about the latest report from the National Association of Home Builders and what it tells us about the health of the builders and their outlook for 2024. Alex, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Sarah, thanks again for having me.
0: Great to have you. So, of course, we want to talk about the builder report and what we see um, when they came out with their report for November. So the first thing I, you know, I wanted to talk about was the confidence, right? Builder confidence, which fell in November, but it it feels like there's a real divergence, right, between Larger and smaller builders. So, what do you what do you see when you look at this report?
1: Yeah, so we're all on the same page here, Sarah. Just to give the audience a little bit of an update of what the report is on. The report is a monthly survey of NAHB members that's designed to take the pulse of the entire building industry. So, the survey asks respondents to rate market conditions for the sale of new homes at the present time, the next six months, and then traffic of prospective buyers. So a number below 50 indicates that more builders view conditions as poor rather than good. And we saw that November number come in at 34. So definitely a little bit of negative sentiment in the industry. And there is quite a bit of divergence. And what we're talking about in that divergence is that you have large builders that are reporting really strong sales, really good public earnings. But you're seeing this pretty negative sentiment in the report. And I think that really ties to what the median NHB member looks like. So the large builders in Lennar, D.R. Horton, Pulte, Meritage, they're going to be a very different business than your median NHB member that builds about six houses a year and has five employees on payroll. Now, obviously, Lennar and D.R. Horton are Fortune you know, 500 companies. They employ thousands of people, build tens of thousands of homes a year. So they have a little bit different way that they can operate. And I think the number one thing that everyone's citing, both in new construction and in resale, is the affordability struggle. And so these large public builders have the ability to really lean into that affordability issue and offer rate incentives, rate buy-downs, rate locks, which is really helping them move homes and is really providing them an advantage against the typical resale home or kind of that typical NAHB member who doesn't have the ability to do those types of things.
0: I think that is a great point. You know, we've been reporting on the fact that, um, you know, the builders have had – it's a pretty – Silver lining for them, right? Because uh, their share of the market has been much bigger than normal because there's just not a lot of single family homes to buy inventory wise. But also, you know, as you said, you know, your seller of a single family home can't be like, okay, I'll buy down your rate and I'll give you $40,000 and oh, you can you can refinance with me. Within the eight, next eighteen months, which I I was talking to a builder a couple of weeks ago, and that's what they're offering right now is if you go with their lender, you can uh, refinance for free for eighteen months. That's a huge advantage. But if you are a smaller builder, you know that's probably not what you are offering,
1: right? And that's and that's exactly it. So when you look at that decline in confidence, I think that's going to be tied a lot more to that typical NHB member, kind of a, a very median-sized builder uh, or even smaller than that. Whereas these larger builders have those um, benefits, not only of being able to offer those rate buy downs, but they have the benefits of really strong land positions that they've built up. A lot of these public builders will have anywhere from four to six years of lots that they can control or either own uh, control, meaning they have options on them with, you know, kind of land banking or interesting financial ways of making sure that they get that land in the future. Um, So they have had very strong margins over the past you know, two to three years. And they're okay leaning in and compressing those margins a little bit in order to meet their sales goals. So when we look at what's driving that decline in confidence, I think it's just that continued uptick of mortgage rates. I think we really saw confidence peak in July this year. And we've kind of had a decline ever since then of builder confidence. And so it's really all about that mortgage rate, where you know we were touching eights. I think we're now back down to about seven and a half last week, which I think was the largest decline since November of last year. And then also, I think just the general increase in rates really puts pressure on a lot of those smaller builders. They have higher cost of financing for their operations, um, and they have higher higher cost of, of materials for their operations today as well. Whereas a lot of the larger builders are able to kind of leverage their economies of scale to keep those material costs a little bit lower. So builders saw their outlook for sales drop from 46 to 40. Um, and then the sales expectations for the next six months dropped from 44 to 39. So I think it's really tied into understanding that buyers are sitting on the sidelines. They're wondering if rates are going to drop and public builders simply don't want to uh, Wait and push those sales into the next year, they're going to lean in and use those incentives as much as possible. And they're okay with compressing their margins to do that.
0: It's a great wrap up of, of why we see that divergence and, and what that means. Um, typically, do we see lower confidence in November just because of the seasonality of it?
1: Yeah, we, we do. And I think the, the, Report is seasonality adjusted, um, but typically we do see sales fall off from September to October. And typically, you know, you're going to see that about 3% uh, decline in sales from, from September to October. This year, it was about 6%. So I think that's kind of also contributing to the fact that this seasonality feels like it's going to be um, maybe a little bit worse than it typically has been. But that also varies um, widely by region.
0: Well, you just um, segued perfectly into my next question, which was, you know, let's talk about the regions and talk about, you know, which region is doing best right now.
1: Yeah, so we continue to see the Northeast kind of be the the strongest uh, in terms of sentiment. And I think that really ties into the fact that there is just a huge constraint on supply in the Northeast And we see similar sentiment in california particularly in socal right now there's just simply not enough homes for people looking to buy so builders are really the only ones that are are bringing supply onto the market so the northeast fell one point to 49 the midwest dropped three points to 36 the south fell seven points to 42 And then the West posted a six-point decline to 35. And the West is really where a lot of folks are keying in. If you listen to a lot of builder earnings calls, if you talk to a lot of builders, that's where I think there's a lot of concern right now. And I think it still goes back to the fact that those were some of these really, really large COVID run-up markets. These were places where a lot of folks were moving. Your Salt Lake Cities, your Phoenixes, your Denvers, all were really, really strong COVID markets where people could move and have you know, a better quality of life during the pandemic. And I think what that did is obviously spurred a lot of new construction activity in the home building space. But you also probably have heard a lot about just the large amount of supply of multifamily coming in line in these markets. And so with those investments, there just is a lot more supply and a lot more options for customers. And as you look at that gap of renting versus owning and really that, that spread being at a, pretty much an all time high, you have a lot of customers that do have the ability to say, hey, I don't know if I want to buy a home right now. I don't know if I want to buy a new construction home right now. And there's some really great apartments coming online that I can go live in a brand new apartment and kind of wait this market out and, and actually save money uh, in, in doing so. But kind of across the board in all of these regions, I think you kind of have um, uh, very bright spots and then um, spots that are also kind of struggling or really kind of trying to attract the right type of, of net in migration. Um, in the Midwest, there's a really good example of this where Indianapolis continues to be a really strong market. It's a very affordable market and you just see a, a, a lot of labor uh, moving into Indianapolis Whereas Minneapolis is struggling a little bit. You're seeing some population decline, some, some out-migration, and then you have a, a growing retiree population, which is ten, tending to, to kind of move out of those colder markets, right? And so we see examples like that across the board um, in each of these regions. And I think it, it goes back to something that I think we've all known for a long time, that well, we can look at U.S. numbers, housing continues to be a very, very local business.
0: I love that. and i I really appreciate that you brought up the multifamily angle because i I do think you know in the same places that builders can spread out and you know have new subdivisions, like where I live in Texas, there's plenty of land to build apartments on, too. I mean, uh, where it's where it's good for one, it's good for the other. And again, in the Northeast, it's not like there's a ton of places to put apartments.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that's where we're going to continue to see kind of uh, as we as we look ahead. I think we're going to continue to see some strength in SoCal, some strength in, in the Northeast and those markets. And it's going to be really interesting to watch as consumers do have choice and where these migration patterns lead to. I think a lot of industry observers right now are, are really, really focused on the jobs reports and really understanding, OK, the, as, as the Fed holds rates steady, are we seeing a, a slowing in labor growth? Or are we seeing wages catch up to some of the inflation that we've had um, and uh, basically allow customers to get back to some level of affordability that's really missing in the market right now?
0: Great points. Um, let's talk a little bit about the forecast, um, the the National Association of Home Builders forecast for the rest of this year, which is, you know, not very long. And then, of course, all eyes are on 2024. We hope we're going to see Interest rates continue to fall, not not dramatically, but a little bit. Um, so I would love to know more about, you know, what's their overall outlook as they look ahead?
1: Well, the NAHB noted that they think macroeconomic conditions are improving and are going to continue to improve for the, the coming months. And you see a lot of builders kind of displaying that by buying more lots, planning to have more communities next year than they do this year. Um, So, there is kind of this idea that things are going to steady out and we're going to get back to kind of more measured growth. And so, I think the idea that rates are going to kind of steady out or not retouch that 8% level is kind of a sentiment that's shared across the board. So, the NHB is forecasting a 5% increase in single-family starts in 2024, really with the idea that hey, some of these really tough affordability conditions are going to to ease the kind of other macro data that we look at internally is John Burns Real Estate Consulting, and they do a survey of home builders. And that survey um, builders basically said they plan to start about 17% more homes in 2024 versus 2023. And you really see this with those large public builders that we talked about they're buying land, they're buying lots and they're all looking to really start new communities. I think the kind of overall environment of 2024 is going to look a lot like 2023 where even if rates do stabilize, we're going to see a lot of folks that really just want to purchase new construction because of those those rate buy downs. And I think it's it's really interesting, you know, new homes tend to lead pricing versus resale. And I think when you think about that, these are, again, large public companies that have quarterly earnings and quarterly guidance that they're really striving to hit. And so they're doing everything they can to meet that market need and find where customers are going. And I think we see a lot of uh, builders that are reporting, um, sales price declines or ASP declines, but that's not necessarily because they're taking price. A lot of these builders are kind of taking a, a two-pronged approach and they're saying, okay, for our entry-level segment, we want to have a lot of spec homes so customers can come in, buy that home immediately. And a, a spec home for anyone who's not aware is basically a builder buying a home ready to go without allowing customers to choose their, their options. And it's just a, a well-designed brand new home. And so those spec homes offer customers certainty on rate as well as certainty on price. And that allows the builder to build a little bit more efficiently um, and potentially you know, put some more cost-efficient options into that home. And we're also seeing a little bit of a, a smaller footprint. On the flip side, there are a lot of builders that are looking at their business and they're to be built business, meaning you're building that home from the ground up, you're kind of optioning out that home, you're picking your, your personal touches. And where we're seeing some strength in that market is something that I think is a little bit overlooked with the affordability conversation, which is the active adult market, that 55 plus market. So a lot of builders are looking at this and saying, okay, I can keep my spec market, my entry level market Uh, flowing and and moving really efficiently. And that's where I'm going to really kind of lean into my cost savings and my incentives. But for this 55 plus market, that's one of the largest demographics in America. These folks are a little less sensitive to rates because they tend to be buying uh, with a lot more cash or, or much higher down payment. And then with that run up of home prices that we've seen over the past three years, they have a lot of equity in their current home. So they're not as price sensitive. And that's where we're seeing um, builders kind of lean in and, and take more of a portfolio pro- portfolio approach in how they look at their, their markets and their business and say, OK, I can afford to compress my margins on the entry level, and then I'll make that up by having some really nice active adult communities. Um, and you see that with folks like Taylor Morrison or, or Pulte that have a pretty significant share um, of active adult with, you know, Pulte, web uh, as an example.
0: It's so smart because we know that that's where so much of the wealth of the country lies, but also the housing, you know, equity lies. I mean, it's the baby boomers who have the money. We see them coming in, as you said, with all cash offers or with more to put down. Um, and so they're the ones who are buying more houses right now than anyone because they're the ones who have the money.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I, I, I heard an interesting stat the other day um, that, you know, I, I don't know the exact percentage, but that a lot of these these individuals that are first time buyers, a lot of them are getting help from their parents. And so you you kind of you know, we were we're coming up on this very large wealth transfer um, in the U.S. where we have the the baby boomer generation, one of the wealthiest generations in history, starting to figure out how they can invest those dollars uh, with their children. And so I think that's another Thing that we're going to be watching closely is what is the number of of individuals that are getting, you know, down payment assistance or down down payment assistance or down payment gifts from family members, which will also help ease some of these affordability concerns. Because again, with inflation, cost of goods rising, all of these different pressures on uh, younger generations, it is very hard to, to save up that down payment. And that's where I think if folks can get that down payment, that might make that gap of renting versus owning a little bit more palatable. If you have to save up a really large down payment and you're going to be paying more, I think that's just a really tough pill for a lot of first-time buyers to swallow.
0: It's so tough. So you talked about the 55-plus the market. Um, I, I would say that that's a bright spot. Are there other bright spots in the forecast?
1: I think that the other bright spot is really looking at resale moving a little bit closer to a a balanced uh, supply and demand. So the markets that we talked about where this imbalance is really pronounced, the Southeast or sorry, uh, Southern California and the Northeast, that's where I think we're going to really continue to see a strain on affordability. But in markets like the West, where builders have had to really lean into those incentives, I think that's where we're seeing. Um, sales kind of uh, slow and and stabilize where we can get some more supply built up in the market. Um, Again, quoting a a John Burns uh, research and consulting survey, over half of agents are saying buyers are coming from homes that they sold previously, um, which is really giving them that that built-in equity, which is a good sign because I think, when we were talking about this you know, months ago, a lot of the buyers were simply first-time buyers as those homeowners that were move-up buyers were sitting on the sidelines and waiting to see where rates would steady out. So I think we're kind of, in addition to the 55-plus market hopefully getting a little bit more balanced supply and demand for the resale market. And obviously, if those folks are moving up and trading up out of their current home, well, that's a unit of supply that comes back onto the market for everyone else.
0: Let's talk a little bit about incentives. You know, we've, we've already mentioned some of them, but, you know, as, as home builders are combating those high rates affordability, what right now, what, which incentives are most popular?
1: The most popular incentives are definitely going to be anything tied to mortgages. And so I think this really is where we see the pronouncement of the divergence, because any way that you look at these rate buy downs, any way that builders run them, and there's a lot of different ways that you can run these incentives, they're going to be very expensive. And so I've heard quotes from builders saying this cost me 600 basis points, 800 basis points, Uh, to do. And again, that is only a luxury that you have. If you've purchased land three, four years ago, you're building these communities, you're building a little bit of a a smaller home to keep your price stabilized, and then leaning into that uh, rate buy-down incentive. So a lot of builders will incentivize price, but we're seeing that price reduction stay steady um, in November compared to The previous month. So we're seeing about 6% across the board in general pricing incentives and closing costs from builders. When we look at the investment in rate buy downs and rate reductions, typically builders are going out and aligning forward commitments from their internal mortgage companies and then deploying those internal commitments where needed. And I think this not only highlights the difference between the large public builders and the smaller local builders, but it highlights how builders are running their business when it comes to regions. And a lot of the builders that we work with, that we've talked to, you know, you look at Meritage that I think is offering a 5.85% 30 year fixed right now. um, And a lot of other builders that are offering kind of similar uh, 30 year fixed lower rates or two, one buy downs, those are really being deployed in that Western region. So those are areas where they know, hey, if I want to get this home sold and I am competing against a little bit of a slowing market uh, and price drops in the resale market, and I'm competing against these new construction apartments and multifamily, I really need to lean in and make this a viable transaction for my customer. So I think we see a lot of that um, in the West regions and seeing some really, really Um, great incentives for customers looking into buy in a Phoenix or in a Denver right now. Um, The thing that I think these incentives really tie back to is just giving that customer peace of mind and and certainty. When you look at all of the pressures on customers today, it is a higher price, it's a higher rate, but we also see higher insurance costs as well as just higher costs of everything in the home that they're going to be purchasing as a first-time buyer. I do think that's where we come in really nicely as well with our, our builder program at Open Door is offering that certainty of saying, hey, you can go into contract with us and you'll be able to buy that home nine months out. You know your rate that you've gotten from the builder. You know what your total monthly payment's going to be, and you know that your home is sold at, at a certain price. The other thing that we see outside of, of incentives is that product retooling, which again is a benefit that a lot of these builders have that are larger builders where they can say, okay, we have a smaller, uh, more dense product that we build in California. We're going to take that product to Phoenix where we traditionally haven't taken it, or we're going to take that product to Austin where we traditionally haven't taken it. And smaller builders simply don't have that luxury they're building in in one market, and they don't have that ability to quickly pivot and and change kind of their portfolio of product that they build.
0: I'm definitely seeing that in the DFW area, as far as like even lot size, what you're seeing is you know they're carving the land they do have up into smaller lots. Right, uh, makes sense. They're they're selling more homes that way. Um, and and again, to your point, if you're a smaller builder and you you don't have that ability, it's just it's just an advantage that the bigger builders have.
1: Right. And I think that's kind of the projection for 2024 as well is that, you know, we're going to continue to see these larger builders get bigger because they simply offer better pricing of the similar products to the customer base. So I think the top 25 builders in the US equate to more than 40% um, of the overall market share of new construction. And I think the general projection is that that number is going to continue to increase. So it's gonna be really interesting, Sarah, to watch this um, sentiment number and see how that changes in an arena or in a market where build, large public builders are actually having really, really strong results, but you're seeing you know, a very negative sentiment and a lot of smaller builders saying, it's really hard to continue operating in this environment.
0: It really is. It's so funny because we, we tend to segment out the new, new construction, um, new homes from existing homes in a lot of the things we report on because it is like its own ecosystem. So for instance, uh, you know, you're a large uh, builder, you have your own uh, mortgage lender that you use, right? It's a, it's in-house or you you're partnering or whatever. And so, the incentives that you can offer um, as a builder, it also cuts out the other mortgage people in the area, right? So uh, I'm not going to get that incentive from the mortgage people if they're not connected to, you know, for the mortgage company if they're not connected to the builder. And so what they do is is advantageous to people looking to buy from them and some other things, but it doesn't uh, it doesn't have a large effect on the overall transaction of, you know, other lenders and even real estate agents who might who might be cut out of that new home buying process.
1: Right. And I think that's um, something that we're watching as well and something that we're seeing as well, because again, 30% of, of listing inventory right now is new construction inventory up from kind of a, a normally 13% range. And I think it really just goes back to, you know, talking about, the the supply demand and balance in in some of these markets becoming more stabilized but in a lot of markets it's not so you know we simply need more housing in america everyone knows this we 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 talk about this across the u.s in basically every market how do we bring on more supply and builders have figured that out and they have you know this this uh great land position to to be able to do that. And they need to sell homes and they need to run their business. But unfortunately that doesn't help impact some of the effects that we see of, of a lot of mortgage companies who are struggling um, a lot of mortgage companies who are are being forced to to shut their doors, um, and then obviously a declining number of of real estate agents. So I think uh, for the general consumer, it's really really helpful to understand that this business is out there, and I think for agents as well, it's important to understand. Hey, maybe I should be looking and understanding and talking with builders a little bit more, so I can help bring my customer to. Um, this option and show them this option and help guide them through the process.
0: Um, you talked about everybody watching labor. Let's talk specifically about construction labor, right? And and what we can expect as we look at permits and starts and completions. Um, you know, what does the construction labor look like right now?
1: The the labor market, according to a lot of CEOs and in some of the, the public earnings calls I've been listening to and, and some of the folks I've been talking to, is easing up a little bit. So I think we've talked about what's happened uh, with COVID on previous calls where you had just this absolute boom in building, you had a lot of supply chain issues, and really you kind of just had this stop-start motion of the economy that caused a lot of angst and a lot of increased costs for supply chain as as well as labor. And so now I think we're seeing a lot of that flow out of the system where supply chains are getting back to their normal efficiency, and we're seeing pretty much, um, you know, no single cost increase that's that's really throwing any of the builders for a loop. We had obviously the lumber issue in 2021, where where builders couldn't get lumber, they couldn't get windows, they couldn't get different things at different times. And so that's kind of filtered out. Um, as builders look at you know starting a, a 5% increase in homes in, in 2024 versus 2023, a lot of this does have to do with the fact that the labor conditions are easing a little bit and the supply chain conditions are easing a little bit where they're able to be a little bit more efficient and a little bit better in their planning. I think the other thing to think about, which... I I haven't seen anybody directly point this out, but when you go out and you listen to what's happening in the market, built to rent was a very, very popular um, channel in 2021 and in the beginning of 2022, as rates have increased quite steadily. A lot of those build-to-rent projects simply don't pencil when you can go put your money in T-bills and get the exact same return. And so I think some of that labor coming back to the production builders and not being for the kind of specific build-to-rent projects is helpful, as well as multifamily looking ahead and saying, oh, wow, we're putting on a lot of inventory into the market. We should be slowing down. We don't want to continue to further depress our rents. Uh, particularly when their costs are going up as well, so a lot of builders are are saying, "Hey, labor's not quite as much of an issue as it was for me last year we're We're pretty confident in the availability of our labor, which is going to be really helpful for those builders to be able to kind of hit those increased numbers and bring more communities online.
0: That is an excellent point. I haven't heard a lot of talk about build to rent. It was the darling, right? <laughs> two years ago.
1: yes. <laughs> It was, it was. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's just tough. It's, it was, a, I think, a really great product um, in, in that time. And I think you still have a lot of folks that are doing built to rent. But again, those are the scale operators, right? American Homes for Rent has their own uh, building division where they're, they're building their homes, whereas maybe, you know, a, a smaller project in in Raleigh that wants to build 50 homes. Well, maybe that's just not going to be viable in this environment.
0: Alex, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insights um, from your you know position your unique vantage point there at open door and, and watching the markets and watching the builders. I really appreciate you uh, giving us an update and we will have you back again.
1: Thank you so much for having me Sarah. I really appreciated the time today.
0: Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.